Um, as Jeff said, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, called A Pathway of Discipleship. And if you've got your Bibles this morning, now is the time to get them out. John 21. Uh, John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, I think most of the weeks over the past few weeks, we've been in John. There's just some really great, rich stories uh, in the Gospel of John. And so uh, John 21, if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to get there uh, in just a minute. Uh, I better get my Bible uh, open as well. And so as we're looking at this idea of uh, what it means to, be, uh, to, to really be about a pathway of discipleship, I lost my glasses. Um, over the past few weeks, we have been looking at um, uh, what it means uh, to pray, what it means to worship, uh, what it means to serve others um, and uh, out in the community, in the world. And this morning, we're going to look at what it means to gather in community. And when I say gather in community, I'm not talking about this community. This is a community. This is a worship community. But what I'm really talking about is a small group community. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning uh, most specifically. We call this sermon series A Pathway of Discipleship. And I think it's very interesting that we oftentimes refer to ourselves as Christians, right? We, we call ourselves Christians, but at the same time, we have to be reminded that Jesus never looked at his disciples, his followers, and said, hey, I want you to go make Christians. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. See, I think we use the term Christian uh, because it's a very safe term for us to identify as. So uh, a Christian is one who believes or ascribes uh, to the teachings of Jesus or even uh, who Jesus was as the Son of God. And, and that's one way of, of being uh, thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a Christian. But a disciple is not just someone who thinks about and uh, mentally and, uh, and just in our hearts and minds wants to, but actually says, I'm going to intentionally live. My behavior is going to uh, be about what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm not going to just think about following Jesus. I'm going to step out and live. And so that's what it means to be a disciple. Those people who followed Jesus around, they were disciples. People who didn't just say, yep, we believe in Jesus. They were people who said, yep, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to learn about Jesus. I'm going to grow uh, with Jesus. So it's a very active uh, lifestyle. And, and that's much more risky, right? It's, it's much easier to, to, to kind of just sit and think, yep, this is what I believe. I'm a Christian. But to live as a disciple says, I am going to act on my belief and live out my faith in the world. I'm going to be a disciple uh, or a follower uh, of Jesus Christ. So as we think about this idea, um, I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and have a word of prayer. God, we thank you that uh, in your great commission, you called us and have invited us to go and make disciples. And God, we're, we're uncomfortable with this. And, and so we just want to invite your Holy Spirit to continue to move among us uh, to give us uh, what we need this morning, encourage us, strengthen us, and challenge us, God, that we may go out from this place um, stronger and, and more connected with you and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little over a year ago, uh, our family piled into the minivan and we drove north. 
uh, almost seven hours north uh, up into Wisconsin, um, really close to where Wisconsin meets the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And if you've ever kind of driven up north, uh, especially in northern Wisconsin, it gets um, more and more desolate. And pretty soon you're just looking at trees and lakes and there's fewer and fewer people and and after uh, seven hours we go from you know the freeway uh, down to a two-lane road and then you turn off and then you're on a gravel road and you wind around for about 20 more minutes and and pretty soon we found ourselves at this rustic cabin uh, on a lake in northern wisconsin and it was just so wonderful it was so peaceful anybody ever been to something like that it's just like ah oh, you get away from everybody and everything and it's just like <sighs> well it was Friday uh, a couple days later and uh, we needed to get back to Bloomington because uh, I needed to we need to be back here for worship on Sunday morning and so we packed up the car got back in the car drove out those 20 minutes on the gravel windy roads and you know among the birch trees and the lakes and uh, and all that good stuff and we're coming back out onto the road uh, that leads back into civilization right and we need to take a left-hand turn to come back to go south again and as we're pulling up to this main road i see um, that there's lots and lots of cars on this road and I'm thinking to myself immediately, oh, there must be a funeral procession, right? And so I'm waiting for the funeral procession to uh, move on by us, but it continues to be more and more cars, and it's just bumper to bumper. It's like watching uh, a traffic jam on the Dan Ryan uh, freeway uh, in rush hour in Chicago, right? I mean, this, this is what the traffic was like in remote, barren, northern Wisconsin, and the car after car after car, I could not turn, and so we waited and waited and waited, and I'm thinking to myself, where are all these people going? right? What in the world? It's, it's like everybody from Chicago, Madison, and Milwaukee said, we're going up north this weekend. And they all just, they got on this two-lane road and just, just went, and, and, and they were just car after car after, and we were just sitting there, I'm thinking, we're never going to be able to turn left. And finally, one car stops and lets us uh, to turn left. I mean, they weren't going to go, you know, any quicker anyways by allowing us to get on the road. And, and when we got back on the road, and, and we're driving south, and I'm, I'm just passing car after car after car, and they're just bumper to bumper, very, moving very, very slowly, I'm thinking to myself, we live in such a strange world, right? All these people trying to escape other people, and this weekend, they're all going, I don't know where they're going, but they're, they're going somewhere, right, to, to, to the remote woods, and they're all going to be together. And I'm thinking to myself, I might as well go to Chicago this weekend. There's not going to be anybody there, right? I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I'm thinking, we live in such a strange world that everybody's trying to get away from one another because we're around people all week long and we're bumping into them, we're talking to them, we're seeing them, we're hearing the noise. We just want to get away. And as Jeff said, we've got this instinct inside of us that we need a little peace, a little bit of solitude. But at the same time, we live in this world where we are more connected than ever before in the history of humanity. But as Americans, we are also more disconnected from one another than ever before. 
in our country's history. We're so, I mean, we spend time together, but we're really not connected to one another. And there are consequences to this. There are consequences to this disconnection uh, that we have uh, in our lives today. A couple of years ago, um, I ran across a, a book uh, called Bowling Alone. You want to put that up there? Um, Harvard uh, social scientist Robert Putnam wrote this just voluminous book. It's study after study after study, and it's called Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And what he shows in study after study is that we are more disconnected uh, than ever before. And there are consequences to our disconnection from one another. And so one of the things he writes uh, in his book about isolationism is people, there we go, people who are relationally isolated are more likely to experience heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, and premature death of all sorts. And he cites dozens and dozens of studies. And he says, um, uh, people who are socially disconnected are between two and five times more likely to die compared to those who have vital human relationships. And of course, God never uh, designed us to be alone. God wants us to be in community. God doesn't want any of us to be isolated from one another. That's why he gave us an, an, uh, to, uh, community and, and gathering together. In, in, in Genesis, uh, God says, uh, it's not good for man to be alone. God wants us to be connected. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create the church. And the church is really meant to be the place where we can gather together and to experience community. And, and for all the, the shortcomings and the problems uh, of the church, right? The church is not perfect. The church is, is filled with lots and lots of problems. The church still works. The church still brings people together and helps them to be connected. And so Putnam uh, looks at all these different places where people gather together. And he's got this one graph in his book, if you want to put that up there. And, and he, he, he outlines this, uh, this idea of uh, the index of happiness with life. And, and the line right across the middle there is the national average for happiness. And they've got a way to measure this. This is what scientists, social scientists do is who's happy. And they've got this, this kind of formula for that. And so what he has determined is that people uh, who attend church in a gathering 20 times a year, if that's you, you are average, that, that you just get to that average point, right? But if you attend church or gather together in community more than 20 times, can see up to 52 there, your, your, your level of your likelihood of you being happy goes up and up and up. Folks, people who attend church in America today are the happiest people in our community. There's something powerful about people gathering together, worshiping, praying, serving, sharing in the sacrament that, that just that speaks to us in our soul. And social scientists prove this. This actually is good for you. It's healthy. One more quote here from Putnam. He says, the bottom line from this multitude of studies, as a rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one group, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. That's powerful, right? 
See, it's possible, of course, for us to even come into a space like this on Sunday morning to gather together with lots and lots of people and to still feel isolated, to not really connect with other people. And so we've created other opportunities for people to make mean, more meaningful connections with one another. And Putnam argues that if you just decide to join a group, a group of people who you get to know and they get to know you, it cuts your rate, uh, the likelihood of you dying in half. And, and so our unofficial motto uh, here at Faith Lutheran Church is join a group or die. <laughs> right? That's our unofficial, that's how I get the small group leaders all pumped up, you know, is, hey, we're going to do this small group thing and it's join a group or die. And so, I mean, but it's really true and the, the science backs this up. Gathering together is not just uh, good for your emotional life. It doesn't just make you feel better. It helps you to grow spiritually in your relationship with God. So this morning, as we think about what it means to gather together in small groups, I'm going to turn to Scripture here a little bit. And I want to remind you that uh, as we look at Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, of all the content of the four Gospels, 84% the content in the Gospels happens where Jesus was with just a handful of people. 84%. Which means, of course, 16% of the content of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is in front of the masses, he's in front of the crowds, he's in front of a whole bunch of people. The vast majority of recorded material in the Gospels is where Jesus is hanging out with this small group, his, his 12 group of guys and, and this handful of women. That's what's going on. And, and I think Jesus understood uh, what sociologists understand today, that when you gather together in smaller groups, the smaller group, the more likely there's going to be for human connection, for meaningful life transformation. And so Jesus spent the vast, vast majority of his time, at least as it's recorded in Scripture. And I can think that, um, you know, there's obviously lots more. This is three years of ministry in the Gospels, right? Right. And we just have these, these, these four Gospels with these little kind of snippets here and there. But I can imagine many times where Jesus and his disciples are sitting around the fire and telling stories. That they're laughing together, sharing a meal together. They're experiencing hunger pains together. They're grieving together. They're experiencing sickness together. I mean, they're doing everything in life that you would imagine a group of 12, 13 people would do. They're just spending time together, doing all the things that you and I do when we are gathered in community together. And so at the end of Jesus' life, he looks at his disciples and says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And I think it's significant that when Jesus came back, he didn't go to the masses, he didn't go to the hundreds, he didn't go to the thousands, he went to his small group and said, I'm back. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go north, about 100 miles north up to Galilee. Yes, to that familiar place where I first called you as disciples and wait. Go and wait. So that's what the disciples did after the resurrection as they went back up north. They traveled north. It was about three weeks after the resurrection. And the disciples are in this place of limbo. 
And limbo is kind of a hard place to be, right? Because you're not here and you're not there. You're kind of in this gray zone, this what you're supposed to do. It's, it's not comfortable. And, you know, the old adage is um, you, you can never go home again, right? You can never go home because even if home has, is, has not changed, you have changed, Right? I mean, you can go around the world, you can go and do all sorts of different experiences, and then you go back home and it's not the same. You can never go home again because you are different. And in scripture, uh, what we learn about the disciples is that after the resurrection, they were different. So they go back to Galilee and they're like, okay, what do we do? Jesus said we're supposed to wait. I don't know. Let's do something, right? Because we're guys and we can't just hang out and do nothing. We got to do something. They're like, I know, let's go fishing. Okay, let's go fishing. And so they decide to go fishing because the, the, the living in limbo, they just couldn't stand it. John 21. Afterward, Jesus again appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? And a better translation actually is, you haven't caught any fish, have you? He knew what they were experiencing. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And you got to imagine some of the guys are thinking, wait a second, this sounds really familiar. I think I've seen this movie before. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And this is Jesus doing what Jesus did. It was never just, here, I'll give you a few fish. It was always in abundance. Way more, way more. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Impulsive Peter. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a, burnt, uh, a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Now these details, you've got to keep in mind, these are not insignificant details. There's Jesus around a coal fire. And just before he went to the cross... On that morning, there were the disciples around a fire of coal. And you know that immediately they were smelling coal and they were taken back to that place where Jesus gave his life for them. And then he talks about there, there's bread. Jesus has got bread there. Again, this isn't just details. This isn't there's just bread there. There's huge symbolism that Jesus is offering the bread for his disciples. And every Jewish person would know that the bread in which Jesus has got all prepared there is that same bread that they've been sharing for 1,500 years. And it's that reminder of the Passover when God rescued his people and, and pulled them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them uh, to a better place. 
And they're all, it's also a reminder, of course, the Passover that they had shared just a few weeks prior, where Jesus took the bread and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And there he is now at the campfire with over charcoal, fish, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. I love that. The small group is back together again. Come on, let's have breakfast. If you were to read over the next few uh, verses in this story, they don't even have a Bible study. We don't know what they did exactly, but they're gathered around a fire. They're eating and they're just they're telling stories and 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 laughing and and having a good time together. They're in community and and they're connected again. And you can just feel how. feel uh, how good it is for each and every one of them to be connected again with Jesus. It, It just feels good. The community is back together again. And this is how Jesus spent his life with his disciples, was this small group of connection with just a handful of people over and over and over. And it was these 12 disciples that went out and made more disciples and made more disciples and more disciples. It wasn't the masses of people that went out and made converts to Christianity. Jesus changed the world through a handful of 12 people. This small group, the connections were so deep. As we look at the early church, you know, there were no church buildings for the first 300 years of Christianity. They didn't gather like for 300 years. They didn't gather in big groups like this. This was forbidden. This was outlawed for 300 years, the first 300 years of the church. The church did not gather like this. They gathered in 7, 8, 9, 10, maybe 12 people. They gathered together in homes. There were no professional um, religious leaders. It was just a bunch of people that would get together. They would read scriptures and they'd say, well, what did Jesus say about that? And they would have this robust and engaging conversation. And this is how the church has grown year after year for hundreds and hundreds of years. But over time, we have shifted uh, from a gathering of people gathered together in small groups uh, to larger groups. From relationship-based to platform-based, where I stand up here, you guys have a row of chairs out there, right? And we're having a monologue, right? I mean, how many of you on Sunday morning would, you know, want to raise your hand and say, hey, what about this? What about that, right? I mean, you could, you, some of you would do that, right? But the rest of you would be irritated. That would be a little annoying. I mean, the format of what we do on Sunday morning in rows, it's wonderful. But, but let's be very clear. This is a monologue. This is not a dialogue. And when we gather together, as much as I love gathering together on Sunday morning, it's one of the highlights of my week. I look forward to it all week long, seeing you guys, watching you before worship come in and and get ready and set everything up, watching you talk to one another, watching 
uh, you have a cup of coffee and, and, and just be in fellowship and community with one another and um, do all that good stuff. And then after worship, you guys, um, you, you pick up the chairs, you, you clean up all this stuff, you go back to the coffee and you guys just keep talking, right? You know, every single week I have to kick a handful of you guys out of here because you love to talk. I just, I love coming on Sunday morning and watching you guys connect with one another. It's so rich. It's so meaningful. But at the same time, it's so limited. Because we can connect on Sunday morning a little bit. We can have a 30-second, a 60-second, or maybe a 90-second, or maybe a five-minute conversation. And what we do on Sunday morning is really, really valuable. And I have to tell you, what I love even more than our Sunday morning gatherings is gathering on Wednesday night with the junior high kids. It's my favorite part, because we gather together in a circle. And they ask me questions. And I ask them questions. And we, it's, it's, we're in relationship. There's no monologue. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. And we get to just do life together. And they, they tell me with what's going on in their schools. They share with me what's going on in their friendships. They share with me uh, their struggles. They share with me about what's going on in sports. And we just have this rich, and I love being in relationship with our junior high students on Wednesday night. It, it, it is the highlight of my week, for sure, without question. And I love hearing stories from so many of you. And you share with me about what's going on in your small groups. How you're gathered together in circles, in community. And you're getting to know one another. Hearing each other's stories. And you're doing life together. And you're sharing struggles with one another. And you're praying together. And you're reading God's word together. And what you guys share with me over and over and over is in your small groups, you are growing in your relationship with God together. And I love that. I want you to hear me. What we do on Sunday morning is really important, and I love it. And it's, it's really important for the life of our church, gathering together. But you also need to know without question that to grow spiritually in your relationship with God, this is limited. We need to move from rows to circles. And when we gather in circles, God comes to us and speaks to us in a whole new way that just cannot happen on Sunday morning. Over the past 25 years, um, I've been involved in nine different small groups. This week I was kind of thinking about which small groups have I been a part of. And uh, uh, nine different small groups, and uh, one of the first small groups I was a part of is, is a group called Dads with Lads, and uh, this was, a, I know, really kind of cheesy, right? Um, but, uh, so it was a group of guys, and we all had boys, and uh, we weren't uh, sure, you know, how to raise these boys, and our boys were really little, um, and most of the time we're like, well, what do we do? What do we say? How do we do, you know, this, you know, and we, we just weren't sure, and so we got a group of guys together, and we, we just we started reading books about what does it mean to be a dad with boys because boys are different than girls, right? Raising boys is different than raising girls. Boys are just, they're just, I don't know, they're just full of energy and they have trouble focusing so much, right? Whereas girls just sit here so nice, right? And they pay attention most of the time. But we would sit together in circles 
dads with lads. We were dads and we'd sit around in circles and we would swap war stories about all the ways in which we messed up the week before. And we would look at each other and we would laugh and laugh and laugh. And I, after an hour and a half, I would go away and I, my stomach hurt because I laughed so hard. It was just that kind of that gut laugh, that belly laugh of, oh my goodness, you are every bit of as big of a knucklehead as I am. That's awesome. And there was just some, such a bond, such a connection that we had. And so one day we decided to take our lads uh, up Stone Mountain. And um, if you've ever been to Georgia, you know that you got to go up Stone Mountain. And uh, this is now my 21-year-old uh, over here in the camo pants. We went through a camo phase. And uh, this is my now 18-year-old. And uh, with the, well, we all thought we were pretty strong because we had just gotten to the top of Stone Mountain. But I mean, if you, as you look at that picture, you can see the bonds and the connections that were made. And, and we had so much fun. We would go deep sea fishing uh, in the coast of Florida. We, we did all sorts of uh, different adventures together. And, and we, just, we just didn't know what we were doing. But we, we, knew, we knew we were dads. We knew we had boys. And we knew Jesus needed to be a part of raising our kids' lives. And so we'd get together in these circles and we formed these bonds, these connections, and we grew so much in our faith. And, and pretty soon we had guys from the church going, wait a second, I've got girls. We're like, okay, let's start another group. And so then we had um, a dad's group uh, with girls. And then we had a dad's group with kids. And, and this grew bigger and bigger and bigger. In this picture, we just had um, 12 guys. After five years, we had over 70 men, seven zero men participating in this dad's group because there was just something infectious that, that just pulled these dads in. And they wanted to connect so deeply with one another. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't the pastor. I was just another dad. I was just another guy. So nobody was looking to me for any kind of advice. In fact, they were usually looking to me uh, for some kind of, you know, what not to do in your parenting, Right? We had so much fun, and we just grew and grew and grew. And through the years, as I've participated in other groups, small groups, I've just found that connection to be so powerful. And this is why we prioritize small groups here at Faith. Because we know that when we gather together in rows, this is good, but there is a ceiling, there is a limit for how much you can grow when you gather together in rows. And when you get together in circles something really powerful happens. And the Holy Spirit grows us deeper and deeper with one another. And we grow in our relationship with God. Now, um, this, this fall, we're doing small groups again, as probably many of you are aware. Uh, we've got 62 of you uh, participating in small groups this fall. Which means that's about two-thirds of our Sunday morning worshiping congregation. I mean, it, the number of you who are participating in a small group is just off the charts high. We have a high degree, high level of uh, small group participation. But there might be some of you sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, well, I, I've never done that before. I wonder what that's like. Hmm. And I just want to let you know that we'll be doing, offering these more and more. In the spring, we'll be offering small groups again. And if you want to get plugged into a small group even before spring, um, come see me after the worship service. But, but these small group connections are so important because they help us to grow in our connection with one another as we grow in our relationship with God. Let us pray. Oh, God, we thank you. 
that you are a God um, who loves us and doesn't want to just be far away, but wants to draw close. And Lord, one of the ways that you draw close to us is through your people. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us to take next steps of faith in being close to your people. And God, it's so um, not natural for us to want to be around other people. Most days, Lord, I just want to go off into the woods and get away from everybody, get away from all the noise, all the hassle, all the struggle. But God, you've created us for community, to learn with one another, to grow with one another, and to serve with one another. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.